So it's not hard for me. I know whose side I'm on. I'm on the right side. That tacky was green and gray. The word that was being said was laurel. Pineapple and pizza are a match made in heaven. And I will miss chocolate logs, delicious goodness. And if you don't agree with me, you're stupid. Well, it's fine, folks, when it's a joke. It is fine when it's a joke. But what happens when polarization isn't a joke anymore? Because we do. We live in a world that is polarized, and we, it's remarkable how angry people can get around silly things like pineapple on pizza. But, but what happens if it's a real thing? happens if it's, if it's a life and death situation? What happens if it's something that affects millions of people in our society? For example, the polarization between to vaccinate or not to vaccinate. What about the masks or the no masks controversy? Maybe you remember the recent fees must fall and which side we, we were told we had to be on. What about around same marriage, or things like black lives matter, or in our country, the choice between the DA or the EFF, or, and those choices polarize. What about the issue of farm murders, or the issue of sex education in school? You see, as we deal with this series about being citizens in God's kingdom, I feel a quite a scary responsibility this morning, because the truth is we are going to touch on some very polarizing issues, and the truth is we as God's children, as busy citizens of the kingdom of God, need to live and act differently because we are citizens of God's kingdom first. Listen to what Dan White says about the problem of polarization in our world right now. Polarization often takes people that have something in common, emphasizes their differences, hardens their differences into disgust, and turns their disgust into blatant hatred. It creates two sharply contrasting groups and pits them against each other, shaping us for only two options our side or their side. It is a suffocating social arrangement. Polarization is a principality and a power. This isn't just a problem of the small sea world, says Dan White. This is a problem as much as it is for big sea citizens, citizens of God's kingdom, as it is for citizens of this world. So now remember, Rich already recapped for us, but, but we're looking in the series at, at what it means to be the citizens of God's kingdom, big C, in our temporary world, small C. And how do we transfer that citizenship into this world? And you would think that introducing God into these polarizing discussions would in fact make things better. But 
My experience as a pastor is that it often makes things worse. When, when we take those things that have already polarized our society and discuss them amongst people, often the polarization gets worse and not better. And if you think that we represent a kingdom that was meant to reconcile the world to each other and to God, we have to ask ourselves the question, why does it get worse often in church world than even outside in an already polarized world? The problem is this, I believe, is that we often approach those problems as small sea citizens. Approach those issues not as citizens of the kingdom, but as small sea citizens, and we want God to be on our side. And often, when we're dealing with not just people in the church, but people outside, that's what we do. We go, Well, God is on my side, and therefore I must be right, and you must be wrong. We need to change those lenses. I want to take you to a story very briefly of Joshua. Joshua is about to march against uh, the city of Jericho. They've crossed the Jordan River, people of Israel. He's now the leader, and, and he's going to attack the city of Jericho. I mean, if anybody could ever claim that God was on his side in a particular event, it must have been Joshua. Joshua chapter 5, verse 30. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I am now here. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And Joshua did so. I mean, it's incredibly important because, because essentially what Joshua is told here is that the first step, Joshua, in this battle that you're about to fight isn't for you to discover whose side God is on. The first step, Joshua, is to take off your sandals. You've got to realize I'm holy, Joshua, and I'm not here to be on your side or be on your enemy's side. That's not the choice that's going on here. The choice is, Whose side are you on, Joshua? And the first step for Joshua isn't that he must get into a debate. It's to take off his sandals and worship God. In other words, he's got to learn what his real citizenship is. Even though he's the commander of the army of Israelites, he's in charge of all the Israelites, he has to learn that there's a bigger citizenship that I have. That it is a citizen of the, of the, of the kingdom of God. And that is before me being the, the, the guy who's leading Israel. And the truth is that that is 
a lesson that every single one of us has to learn when we face this polarized world. And it's great that it's not just the Old Testament that teaches us how to do that, but the New Testament as well. Jesus, in fact, in Matthew chapter 5, it's known as the Sermon on the Mount, is really a sermon about what it means to to stop being a small sea citizen and to become a big sea citizen. What it means to be a citizen of the kingdom eternally or a temporary citizen of this world. And so Jesus says a whole lot of things about you've heard it said, and but I say. You've heard it said, but I say. And what he's doing is he's, he's teaching us how to be citizens of his kingdom first in this world. And I'm just going to focus on three things this morning that, that talk directly to this polarization issue. Three things that, that Jesus says when it comes to living in a polarized world, these are the things you have to learn first before you start fighting and perhaps sadly enough in the church's context even killing people because of what you believe. So the first thing is this, citizens of the kingdom are not small c angry. I mean, we live in an incredibly angry world, don't we? I I mean, all of us struggle with anger, all of us, and when the pressure's on, we struggle more with anger, but we live in this unbelievably angry world where people are just constantly, you know, whether it's in traffic or at home or at work, where we or on social media, where we're just blasting each other. And the scary thing is, folks, I don't know if, if you've ever read any comments to YouTube videos, or especially Christian ones, where somebody has a comment that may not fit with what somebody believes. And, and people, Christians, call each other the, the most unbelievable names. How do we learn to have big, to deal with anger, big C? Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven, says Jesus. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who's angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to, to a brother or sister, Raka, it is answerable to the, to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, is in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. What is, now, now we, can, we can comment on, on the details of what Jesus is saying here. It's not what, what I want us to do this morning. What I want us to do this morning is to see what Jesus says about anger. Because in, just like in Jesus' day, as in our day, people love to justify their anger. I've often encountered a situation where I'm discussing Christians and anger, and where do people like to go? They like to go to that one story where Jesus is really angry, and he 
he chases people out of the temple. Isn't it strange that it is the only real moment that we see, there are other moments where we see Jesus angry, but, but, but he, doesn't, he doesn't display his anger. And so what do we do? We go to that one place, and we use that moment in, in the ministry of Jesus to, to basically say, I can be angry whenever I like. We do that. And what Jesus is saying here is to those people who are listening and to us today that we often only want to use the big as the display. We, we want to justify ourselves and come up with rules. And, and well, you know, I, I, I didn't murder the person, so I'm okay. I mean, that's basically what was, what's being said here. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. You can't just use an excuse to justify yourself. You have to see it differently. When you, are, when you call somebody a name, when you denigrate somebody, the image of God in somebody, you are displaying an ungodly level of anger towards them. This is the question we have to ask ourselves as we learn to be big C citizens is where and how are we being angry? Where am I being angry? And, 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 and how is that anger being displayed to the world around me? Do you remember when people used to put fish on the back of their cars? And some people said, oh, I can't put that fish on the back of the car because, because of how I drive. <laughs> and I mean, it sounds like a joke, but you know what I'm saying? And unfortunately, in our world, we begin almost immediately to react to other people. With I don't know where you are with this, but, but I tell you who I battle mostly with anger with as a person is people who are, who are hypocritical in the ways I used to be hypocritical. And if you understand that, as I've, as I've grown in my spiritual walk and changed some of the ways I think, I so often feel the most anger with people who used to be just like I used to be. It's unjustified. And so the first lesson that Jesus gives us is that we have to have big C relationship to anger. We have to learn that we can't allow our anger through using all sorts of lovely excuses. The second upside downness that Jesus introduces to this polarization debate is that we as citizens of the kingdom have to be about truth and love, or love and truth. One of the things that frustrates me so much about us Christians is when we say things like, we have to choose between truth and love. You know, Pastor, this is one of those situations where, where, where you've got to speak the truth, even if the person isn't felt loved. 
I don't know where that comes from because God is about truth and about love. He doesn't compartmentalize it. And again, we are good at coming up with excuses just like the people in Jesus' day. Matthew 5, 33, again, you have heard that it said to people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord your oaths you have made. But I tell you, do not swear on, earth, on an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. This is an important passage around how we are truthful. What Jesus is basically saying is, as a big C citizen, we should have the kind of relationship with the truth that means we never actually have to sign a contract so that we will be bound by it. We never have to actually take an oath. He's not saying that it is a sin to take an oath or a sin to sign a contract. He says, as citizens of the kingdom, you shouldn't have to have different levels of truth. It's yes or no. In, in, in this context, you know, the Pharisees had this thing where if you swear by the temple, you don't have to keep your oath. But if you swear by the gold in the temple, you have to keep your oath. In our family, normal family, if you pinky swear, you know, in our family relationship, you have to do whatever you said. But Jesus is saying it shouldn't be like that. Be yes or no. And we can't separate truth and love, says Jesus. And folk, I can unpack, we can unpack this, but, but, I, but I want to address the fact that we live in a world full of alternative facts. And, and, and I think for lots of us, this is going to be the part where it's going to get hard. I just want to be honest. And as Christians, I've said it, we shouldn't need to do anything to add to our credibility. It should just be there. But sadly, it's not. And so what do we as Christians do as we, as we encounter this world full of fake news and alternative facts and all those challenging videos that you and I get to see that go, is this true or isn't it? And so, so, in a sense, that's where I want to go. And, and I want to tell you that every pastor struggles deeply with this. I want to read to you a, a short passage from, from a blog post by a man called David French. He, he's he's, a, he's a, an author and a Christian. And he wrote this under the heading, Coronavirus Conspiracy Theories and the Ninth Commandment. Okay, good Christian. We know what the ninth, ninth commandment is. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. In other words, you shouldn't tell lies. This is what he says in his introduction. Ever since the start of the coronavirus crisis, I've had a number of readers request a Sunday newsletter addressing Christians and conspiracy theories. Until now, I've resisted. The honest reason is too optimistic. As the inexorable reality of the pandemic bore down upon us all, I hoped and prayed that conspiracies would fade. They have not. At least not in my world, and he's right in an American context. 
I still see references to the utterly discredited pandemic video. I still see claims that coronavirus death tolls are being intentionally artificially inflated. There are rampant rumors of people receiving false positive test results when they never took a coronavirus. There, are long, there have long been claims that the lockdowns aren't designed for public health, rather to destroy the American economy. And I haven't even touched all the wild claims that masks or the alleged, or the alleged microchip is the gate, in the Gates vaccine. I can list some of the cultural and sociological reasons for the willingness to believe, well, virtually anything about our political and cultural opponents. So, guys, as a pastor, and, and I'm sure you do, you, we receive these things, and we don't know what to do with them. Because the sad thing is, as we dig into them, we find little bits of truth, and, and something there, and something we can't check about, check up on. Or when we send something like that on, are we breaking the ninth commandment? Are we becoming guilty of spreading falsehoods because, because almost always the story is rooted in what those people are like. An example is the American Republican versus Democrat debate. I have many friends who are both Republicans and Democrats. And the truth is, from my experience, some of the Republicans are amazing, loving, God-fearing Christians, and others of them are atheists. I have Democrat friends who are loving, God-fearing, godly people, and others of them are atheists. You see, that's the reality. But we get told you have to choose this or this, and then a whole set of weird facts are presented to us, some of which are true which end up going, God is on our side, instead of us asking, am I on God's side? The sad thing is that for many people, they aren't intentionally doing this. We, 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 we're all living in a world where we're afraid, and we want to find a solution, and so, so we're not intentionally lying. We're not on purpose trying to create a problem, but we end up doing it anyway. I think part of the problem is we're not deeply grounded enough in the truth of who God is. We're not deeply grounded enough in who God is and His plan for this world. And so we very quickly are afraid that, that a human being can actually control the whole world. Well, we don't understand that. The only person who can control the whole world is God. And he may not be doing it the way we want him to do it, but he is. And we ask ourselves, in the context of the ninth commandment, what should I be doing here? There's a final piece that Jesus gives to us in, in this Matthew 5 that it helps us to discover where we are in this polarized world or where we should be. Citizens of the kingdom love their enemies. Citizens of the kingdom love their enemies. Matthew 5, 43. You heard it said, 
love your neighbor and hate your enemy. I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are, you not, even, are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. <laughs> Jesus doesn't give us an option if we're big sea citizens of not loving somebody. It's just there is no option for a citizen of the kingdom of somebody. It's just not there. And we have to give expression to that. We have to look out. And here's the thing. In this polarized world that we live in, where we want to win arguments rather than win people, when we want to be right rather than be loving, when we want to be right so that we can hold on to power or some other thing or privilege or something, we end up adding to that rather than loving. But the truth is people will hear you when they know you love them. People will hear you when they know you love them. I don't know if you, I love road trips. I love going on road trips. And every now and again, I'll see a sign that says, God loves you. And that sign is incredibly meaningful for me. But what, what does it mean for somebody who doesn't know who God is and who doesn't know what love is? <laughs> Which is most of the people in our world. It's not enough that we put up a sign that says God loves you. We have to show people that love them. And the truth is, in this polarized world, we are too quick to make enemies. We are too quick to stoke enmity, especially with those who are not like us. I've got to tell you that I'm sometimes embarrassed by my own thoughts about other people because I want to be right. You know, I confessed to earlier that, that, that the people who used to think exactly the same, they're the people. And, and I'm just, I sometimes think to myself, how come you can't think like me? Are you just stupid? Now, because of my nature, I don't really express that. Are you, but are you stupid? Why are you doing this? What is wrong with you? You've been indoctrinated. You've been blinded. Instead of going, okay, you don't agree with but here's why I've changed. I still love you. Why is it that we are so hard-nosed and so desperate to be right and that when somebody comes with facts that don't agree with what we think, we, we think it's a personal assault and we want to fight? Well, there's a reason for that. That's because it's going to our hind brain. You know, that fight, flight, or freeze thing. And as soon as we, that's how we are programmed to look like that. And as soon as we feel attacked, 
It's fight, flight, or freeze. And Jesus says that's not how you're supposed to act as a citizen of the kingdom. Your hind brain is not what's supposed to control you. Jesus Christ is what's supposed to control you as a citizen of the kingdom. And so your, your response isn't to fight, flight, or freeze. It is to love. It is to love that person that is attacking you. It is to love that person who disagrees with you. You can carry on disagreeing with him, but your first reaction isn't fight, flight, or freeze. Our first reaction is to love. The truth is, God has a way of bringing grace and kindness to everybody. Go back and read that passage. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. That's something called common grace. It's, it's a theological term where God shows grace not just to the people who follow him, but to everybody. As citizens of the kingdom, part of our job is to have common grace, to show that even though you hate God, even though you don't know God, even though you're an enemy of God and you're my enemy, I still love you because God loves you. You see, the truth is, a good argument or an angry response or being absolutely right, even when you can prove it, is not going to show anybody you love them. Only affection and kindness and grace can show an enemy that you love them. You see, we as big C citizens have to learn the right behaviors before we insist on the right facts. How does Jesus help us to do that? By teaching us that it is our job to take God's side, not to decide whose side God is on. Just like in that moment where Joshua encountered of the army of the, God, of the living God is whose side? He says, no, I'm not for you or against you. Worship. And if we, as God's citizens in this world, can learn that, I really believe we will have done a huge amount to depolarize the world we live in. You see, it's it can't start with the outside facts. It's got to start inside of us. Listen to what it says in Philippians chapter 2. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but, to, but each of you to the interests of others. And then in Colossians 4, verse 4, it says, Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. I want to end with a dangerous experiment. I, I, I want us to put this big C, small C 
polarization problem into the world we all live in right now. And I'm not doing it in order to, to give you an answer to the problem. But I'm, I, I want to do it so that we can all, instead of trying to go to the solution, look at ourselves and go, how can I be a big C citizen? I want to talk for a very few moments about the LGBTQI plus debate. Now, for some of you, you don't know what all the letters are. This is basically the debate about homosexuality. Should we accept it in our world or shouldn't we? What's God's position? Should we marry gay people? All of those controversies. And I, and I want to ask you this. When you saw that on the screen, what was your first reaction? Just honestly, I'm not going to ask you to answer. on the other side of the screen, you can't answer me. But what was your first reaction when you saw that? Was it anger? Was it, oh, is my pastor trying to tell me something? What was it? Was it defensive? Was it attacking? Did, did those letters on the screen make you feel angry? Did you want to defend your position immediately? Did you want to attack somebody? Did you immediately marshal all your facts about it in case you have to end up having an argument? What was your reaction? I want to suggest that when Jesus confronted anybody, whether they were struggling with their sexual identity, whether they were a Roman, whether they were a Pharisee, whether they were a fellow Jew, whoever they were, Jesus came with the same set of inward things. He came being committed to love that person no matter what. He came with the truth no matter what. And he came with anger or no anger that was godly, not selfish. And after that, he often ended up treating that person this way, and, but he always arrived in the same place. If you and I, as God's children, as good citizens of the kingdom are to engage in this massively polarized world, whether it's this debate or the vaccine debate or the end times debate or any of it, we have to come with this, that Jesus loved me and gave me grace. Jesus loves you and wants to give you grace too. And if we can do that, imagine how much, not only will we be transformed as individuals, but imagine how much our church will be transformed as a church. Imagine how much we will transform a world around us. Let's pray together. God, this is big. Massively polarized world. And Lord, I know that in this room and 
and on this broadcast on the internet, there are massively differing opinions about really important stuff. But I know this, Lord, that you came to teach us what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of God in this world. And part of that means we've got to have this attitude that draws people rather than repels people, that unites people rather than divides people. Dear God, help to do that for the sake of the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God bless all of you, and may you go in grace and peace. Amen.